This morning, I have in my heart to talk with you about your and my love for God. Could you turn me up a little bit, please, Jen? Your and my love for God. The title actually reads, Your Love for God, The Power to Live for God. Your Love for God, The Power to Live for God. The concept is real simple, and that is that your love for your child is what empowers you to live for that child <laughs> so that they can be provided for, so that they can be protected, so that they can be cared for, and that every need in that child's life may be filled. Why? Because your love for that child is sufficient for you to live for that child. Marriage is the same way. Your love for that person is what empowers you and is sufficient for you to live for that person for the rest of your life. So today, I have three goals, uh, which is to answer three questions regarding our love for God. It is the necessity of loving God. Number two, the nature of your and my love for God. And number three, the gift of our love for God. The necessity answers the question, how important is my love for Jesus? How important is it that you love God on a daily basis? The second is answering the question, what is this love like? What kind of love is this? What's the nature of this love? The third question answers, uh, or the, the third uh, portion answers the question, where does this love come from? Is this the love that I generate within myself to love God more? You see, oftentimes what I find myself doing is when I see somebody go through a hard time and they ride at the bottom of the barrel and they're now questioning God's love for them, I, I find myself standing on the other, sitting on the other side of the table and I'm raising my voice with all passion and attempting to convince them, God loves you, don't you get it? Just believe it, God loves you. Just don't you get it? Allow God to love you, you know. So I'm getting all passionate to try and get them to believe God's love for them instead of just sharing them the gospel and helping them understand the gospel because in it is God's convincing power of His love for them, to them. Amen? And so <clears throat> the same thing is what I do is I, 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 I encourage people to love God <laughs> by raising my voice and getting all passionate. It's like, you've got to love God. My son, I'm so urgent for my son. I'm like, Robert, you've got to learn to love God. All right, Dad, you want to watch another movie? <laughs> it's almost like some people, you talk to them, and you are so urgent for something they're not urgent over, and they don't have. But you're expecting them to generate that love inside of their heart for a God that they probably don't even know, because to know Him is to love Him. So let's go through those three goals today and answer those three very important questions what is the necessity or how necessary is it for you to love God? What nature is it that lo your love ought to be toward God? What is the nature of that love? And number three, where do you get that love from? How many of you, by showing of hands, feel like you should love God more sitting here today? And my hands up. How many of you feel like you should love God more? You, you want to have a really burning hot, passionate love for God, and you should. So let's talk about the necessity of loving God. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. 37. 
I want to run through a few verses because I know that you're sharp, you're bright, and you're going to get this really easily. The necessity of loving God. Matthew 22, 37 says, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God. This is Jesus speaking. With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, for this is the great and first commandment. Christ commands here to love God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind. Therefore, Christ's commandment here means that it's totally necessary, it is absolutely required, and it's ultimately important for us to love God. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that those who love God, all things <coughs> work together for good for those who are called according to His purposes. So, if all things are to work together for your good, ma'am, sir, if all things are going to be working for your good, family, then it's going to be because of your love that you have for God, which was His purposes He's called you to. You see, loving God is the requirement given to us before this promise of all things working together for our good will ever take place. This was the requirement. Loving God, all things work together for your eternal good. See, this promise in reverse for those who do not love God is pretty frightening. Think of it. Instead of all things working out for them eternally, nothing works out for them eternally if they don't love God. Instead of all things working out for their good if they don't love God, everything works out for their eternal evil and demise. That is a frightening thought. In other words, loving God is of utmost importance and it's of greatest necessity. It is about loving God. Those were the two commandments. Love God, love others. Jesus gave them. And in so doing, you really fulfill the commandments. The entire law is fulfilled if you, just love, if you just are able to accomplish that. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, But as it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart, nor the heart of man can imagine what God has prepared for those who love Him. So in other words, in a nutshell, if you would like to be in on the unimaginable preparations that God has made for His people for eternity, uh, then you're going to have to love God now to experience that then. James 1.22, uh, James 1.12, excuse me, says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love Him. All right, so we see in this that those who love God will stand the test and the trials of life. Really, it is the love that you have for God that strengthens you and enables you to walk through the tests of life. This is why the Apostle Paul told them, Hey, listen, you guys are being persecuted. Some of you have been murdered already that aren't here anymore. <laughs> he said, <laughs> he said <laughs> but guess what? You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You can do it. Don't defect 
don't run away. You can do this. You can serve God no matter what the pressure is. You can serve God no, how, no matter how busy things are. You can serve God no matter what. Because you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. That verse has nothing to do with sports. It has nothing to do with money. It has nothing to do with prominence. It has nothing to do with you excelling in this life. It has everything to do with you being able to serve God no matter what the obstacles, the pressure is in your life that tries to stop you from serving God. That's the context thereof. And so, we see this says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Those who love God will stand the test in life and they will withstand the trials of life and the receiving of this crown of life happens where in heaven all right so in other words it is evident that those who love him are those who will be in heaven with him to receive the crown of life from him who are these who are in heaven with Jesus receiving the crown of life from Jesus it's very clear those who love him can you see how the necessity of loving Christ? All right, James 2 verse 5. Listen, my brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which He has promised to who? Those who love Him. Again, the heirs of the kingdom of God, the heirs of eternal life, are those who love Him. Now, somebody asked me this question. Yeah, but... Is it possible to love God but not love Jesus since Jesus is the one referring to himself there? Is this different? Do I love God and not Jesus or love Jesus and not God or maybe not love them equally the same? Is this possible? I want to show you just a few verses to clarify that. John 14, 9 says, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Hebrews 1, 3 verse, uh, Hebrews 1 verse 3a says, He, Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of God's nature. Clearly, if you love God, you will love the radiance of His glory. And clearly, if you love God, you will love the one who is the exact imprint of His nature. Colossians 2 verse 9 says, For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells. In Him the whole fullness of deity dwells. Clearly, if you love deity, if you love God, then you will naturally love the one in whom the fullness of deity dwells. You see, to love God is to love Christ. To love Christ is to love God. To submit to Christ is to submit to God. To follow Christ is to obey God. To love Christ is to love God. To love God is to love Christ. Can you see that? Let's continue looking at just how necessary loving God is to you and me. Ephesians 6.24 says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, grace is pronounced 
on those who love the Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to pronounce grace on somebody? Here God pours grace like out of a jar onto somebody who loves Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 16.22 says, If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Oh, our Lord, come. So this, without a doubt, clarifies that loving the Lord Jesus Christ is necessary for even being able to say, Oh, Lord, come. Who wants Him to come if they don't love Him? <laughs> Only those who love Him would love the idea of Him appearing again. Only those who love Him would desire, call, and long for His coming in the clouds. How many of you are actually excited to see that happen one day? You're excited to see Jesus appear in the cloud. Amen? I tell you now, the person that doesn't love God could not go like, yeah, that will be awesome. I can't wait. The person who doesn't love God goes, well, hopefully never. <laughs> Loving the Lord Jesus Christ is of utmost importance. It is absolutely necessary, a definite requirement for eternal life. 2 Timothy 4 verse 8 says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. Only because you love Jesus, would you also love His appearing. I'm going to conclude the first portion of three questions. Is it necessary to love God? I want to conclude that by saying, if you are going to have the privilege of all things working together for your eternal good, then you are going to have to love God now in this life because it is, according to Jesus, an absolute required necessity. That is what makes everything, pain, loss, everything work together for your eternal good, is your love for God. If you're going to experience the unimaginable preparations that God has made for His people to experience throughout all eternity, then you're going to have to love God now in this life. It's a required necessity. If you are going to remain steadfast, stand all tests, and so receive the eternal crown of life in heaven, then you're going to have to love God now. It is a required necessity. If you're going to be an heir of the eternal kingdom of God, as we read, then you are going to have to love God now. It is of utmost importance. It is ultimately necessary that you and I love God with all of our hearts now. Can you see that as a pastor, <clears throat> it is so important for me that you and I understand what it means to love God. You know, it's one thing to believe that God loves you. But it's also a complete different issue, loving God. Those are two very, very important concepts. We know God loves us. When we look at the cross, how could you doubt that? And then we respond to Him because of that in love for Him. It's absolutely necessary for us to understand the concept of love. Number two, the nature of a love for God. Here we're asking the question, what are we talking about when we say we love? 
What is the nature of that love that we ought to have for God? What is the meaning of saying, I love God? Have you ever heard people on TV say, well, you know, they start talking about God and you'll have this absolute rebel or this complete lost person go like, no, I love God. I love God. What does that even mean that you love God or that I love God? What is the nature of our love toward God? The kind of love. What kind of love are we referring to? Matthew 10.37 gives us a clue. Are you ready? Are you guys ready? Uh, are you guys awake? Yeah. All right, good. Matthew 10, 37. It says, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Right? Anybody who loves close family more than Jesus is not worthy of Jesus himself. That's what he's saying. <clears throat> I didn't write it. Don't throw stuff. <laughs> He said it. What's interesting here is that it shows us that the love that we have for Jesus is not the same as the love we have for cars, is not the same we have for love we have for chocolates, movies, and hot bubble baths, right? It's not the same kind of love. It is a relational love. I love God relationally. That's the kind of love that He's looking for. And it is the kind of love you would have for human beings who are most dear to you. That's the kind of love God wants you to love Him with. For those human beings who are most precious to you. The human beings you would absolutely give your life to and have given your life to. This is the kind of love God wants us to love Him with. It is the same kind of love that you would have for those who you care for the absolute most in this world except for Jesus here requires that your love and my love for Him is much greater in degree, not different in kind, but greater in degree than those that you naturally have affections to. Amen? John 14, verse 15 and 24, it says this, If you love me, you'll keep my commands. We're talking about what kind of love, all right? If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. God knows, oh, you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I want to say this to you quick. Oftentimes we read Jesus speaking, and it's almost like He's all over the place. He's never all over the place. He's always talking about the theme, the same subject matter, the context of His statements. He starts off by saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandment. He's talking about the love that we have for one another, God's love for us, His love for us, and our love for Him. And then He says, I will never leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's talking about the love that we have for each other. Verse 19, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, 
And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him, Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. He ends by saying, take it to the bank. What I'm telling you right here is not even my words. It is God the Father's words. Now, many people read through that portion right there, and when they read through that portion, they come to the conclusion that our love for God equals our obedience to Christ. Our love equals obedience. But this is not what he's saying. He's not saying love equals obedience. He says love leads to obedience. Love is the reason why we obey. Love is the reason why I'm excited to provide for my wife, my children. I'm excited to protect. It's natural for me because my love for them leads me there. Love is the reason why we obey. To obey Christ does not mean I love Christ. All right? To obey Christ does not mean I love Christ. How is this true? Because even those most heartless legalists obey laws without actually loving God. So to obey does not necessarily mean you love. But when you love, it leads you to obedience. To love Christ means that obedience to Him becomes my desire. I desire that because I love Him. To love Christ means that following, become, following Him becomes my passion. I'm passionate about following Him. Why? Because I love Him with all my heart. To love Christ means that serving Him becomes my urgent agenda. I want to serve Christ. Why? Because I love Him so. I like to say it this way. My love for Jesus empowers me to live for Jesus. My love for Jesus results in me living for Jesus. I want to show you something. We're going to, go, we're going to keep going deeper, so please keep your thinking caps on if that's okay. Are you all still with me? All right, we're talking about the necessity of love, loving God. Now we're talking about what nature, what kind of love ought we to have toward God. 1 John 5, verse 1 through 5 says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. I don't know how this has escaped me all my life. But I've always read that this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus Christ, Jesus is the Christ, will be born of God. Is that what it says? It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has, past tense, been born of God. If I see somebody believes, it is because 
he had to have been born of God already. When God births you again, He birthed you into a new believing creature. <laughs> All right, so we're going to go to the next line. It says, And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. Can you see what that says? Everyone who loves God naturally loves those God has birthed again. It's a natural thing for brothers and sisters of Christ in a church to have natural love for each other. Why? Because they love God. And there's always an extension through God, your love for God, through God, to those around, sitting around you in church. That's what he's saying. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves other Christians. Your love for God naturally extends to His children. Verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. So here he throws it around. He, he flips it over. And he says, uh, This you know that you love God's children. How do I know that I love you? I know that I love you when I love God and I obey His commands. There's no better way for me to love my children, to love my wife, to love my family, and to love my church family than to love God and obey His commands. That's it. He has got two commandments, and that is to love Him and love others. And in that, you've fulfilled the whole entire law. So for me, to love you best is I have to love God. That's why I always encourage single people, if you're looking for a spouse, find somebody who loves Jesus more than you. And you've found a good spouse, right? If somebody is willing to love God more than they love you, you've found a good spouse. Because that's what he's saying right here. He says, by this you know that you love God's children when you love God and obey His commands. Verse 3. For this is the love of God, period, stop. He's about to tell us the answer to our question. He says, for this is the love of God. He's not saying the love that we get from God. He says not God's love towards us. It says God's love. This is it. He's going to give us the nature of God's love. He's going to get us the effects of God's love. He's going to give us the kind of of love that God has and is. He says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. That we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. In other words, when He starts with, this is the love of God, He's not saying, this is your love for God. He is saying, this is God's love in you. And this is what it looks like when His love has been shed abroad in your hearts. In other words, if you take a person and the God kind of love is poured into that person, this is what it looks like. They obey God's commands and those commands are not burdensome to them. It's not a burden. It is not a yoke. I want you to look at that verse again. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not burdensome. That is one thought. You don't have to have that full stop there. There were no full stops in the original. It says, 
that we keep His commandments that are not burdensome to us. We keep it and they don't bother us. We keep His commandments. And in fact, He says it is when we keep His commandments, not as a burden, but as a blessing. That we keep His commandments, not as a duty, but as a delight. That we keep His commandments, not loathing it, but loving it. This is the kind of love. I love blessing my family that I love. Yeah, well, let me just say, I love blessing my loving family. <laughs> I love blessing a person I love with my whole heart, don't you? It's almost like when they won't receive your gift, it's almost like an offense. Like, I need to do this. I love you so much. I have to do this. It's for me that I'm doing it. And that's what he's saying here. And this is the love of God in a person, making them urgently wanting to, having the absolute passion and the desire to obey God. It's not burdensome. It's a blessing. It is not a duty. It is a delight. It is not loathing. It is loving it. Now, you might go like, well, Jacques, I think I'm in trouble. Well, watch this. This is already true for most of you. You see, when it, when, uh, it is when we keep His commandments and we realize that let me give you an example. It's like when I walk out of a prayer meeting and I walk out of that prayer meeting rejoicing. I walk out of that prayer meeting loving what I've just done because I have the sense that I've just met with the Lord. How many of you have ever been to a prayer meeting, you walk out there and you feel like, I've just met with the Lord? Yeah? And how many of you loved that? Yeah. It's like when you haven't heard the Word of God for a while and then you hear the words of Scriptures read to you or you read the Scriptures and you drink it in like a sponge. How many of you have ever experienced that? Yeah. It's when you walk away from, sh from sharing the gospel with somebody, you walk away from them and you feel like you're walking on a cloud. You've experienced that, right? It's almost like nothing like it when you're sharing the gospel with somebody and you feel like a seed has just been sown. It has an effect upon you. You actually love it. You love praying and having intimate time with the Lord. You love hearing the scriptures, especially if you haven't heard for a while. You love it when you see God using you in touching other lives. You see, it's really true for you that Obeying Christ is not a burden, it's a blessing. <laughs> See, it's not a duty, it's a delight. The opposite is also true. You feel burdened and starved if you haven't prayed. It's really true for you. You feel urgent to turn on a sermon and crack open a Bible if you haven't heard the Scriptures for a while. It's already true for you. You see, the truth about you is purposefully following Jesus is actually what satisfies you. If I had to ask for a show of hands, honestly, which I'm not going to, most people here would raise their hands and they would say, this is true about me, that purposely following Jesus is the only thing that ultimately satisfies me. The truth about you is that passionately following Jesus is really the only thing that fills you. Giving yourself to Christ is what gives you security. It's what gives you confidence. It is what gives you Purpose is what gives you peace. In other words, you, the new creation, 
You, the born of God, you, the born again you, just loves obeying Christ. This is the love of God in a person. So we talked about the necessity of loving God. Now we talked about the nature, the kind of love that we ought to have for God. And it's a relational love that causes us to desire living for Him. Now let's talk about your love for God and where it comes from. Your love for God and where it comes from. Where does this love that you have for God come from? Do you generate that within yourself? Do you stir this up within yourself? How can a love for God be ignited in our hearts? Because if somebody had to ask me, should I love God more? I would, I would always have my hands up. I would always want to say, yeah, I would love to love God more. I already love God a lot, but I'd love to love God more. But where does this come from? How can my love for God be ignited? Deuteronomy 30 verse 6 says this. And the Lord your God will, let's stop there, and the Lord your God will, in other words, in the future, I haven't done it yet, this is a prophecy of things to come. He says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring. In other words, in the future, God is going to circumcise, cut away the dead heart. And the heart of your offspring. Why? Why is he going to do this? Unto what purpose is he planning on circumcising your heart? So that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart. See that? Why does he want us to love him with all of our hearts? So that we may live. You see, God isn't going to give you a heart to love Him because He has an alter ego that cannot be satisfied unless He is loved and adored by everybody. <laughs> no, He causes you to love Him so that you may live. Loving God is the only possible way of being empowered to live for God. There is no other way. If you cannot live for God, it's not because you are just so stubborn. It's just because you don't love Him enough. That's it. If you're struggling to live for God, it is a love issue. It is a heart issue, a heart that doesn't love the way it should love. So we see in Deuteronomy 30 verse 6, it says that God will do this. God will do this in your heart. He cuts away the dead heart, and He gives a heart that can love Him. Ezekiel 36 verse 26 says the same thing. It says, and I will give you a new heart. This is a promise for the future. I will do it. He hasn't done it. I will do it. He's talking about things to come. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone, the heart that cannot love God. I will remove that heart from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, a heart that is soft, a heart that is teachable, a heart that is responsive, a heart that now can love God. Let me ask you the question, who 
puts that in man. God. God. How does he do it? Through the gospel. The gospel is the circumcision of the dead heart. And it's the miracle of the new heart. The born-again experience. And it all comes from what? The gospel. The gospel. So he says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. God will do this. God will. It's a, it's a divine miracle from God. He says, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh that's teachable, responsive, loving, soft, moldable. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Let's stop there. And I, God, will sovereignly cause you to walk in my statutes. I will do that. In other words, God is the one that causes you to even want to <laughs> obey Him, walk in His statutes. What are His statutes? To love Him and to love others. Here he's saying that, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will, I will be the one responsible for causing you to walk in my ways. It is a work of God. I tell you, folks, when you serve God to the end of your life, and you get to heaven, and all of heaven rejoices as you step through those pearly gates, and Jesus hands you a crown, the crown of righteousness, the crown of glory. And you receive that. Guess who gets the glory for anything and everything? God. Why? Because, folks, and this is love, not that you loved God, but that God loves you. Isn't that what the Scripture says? And this is the new creature, that God did it and not you. <laughs> you know, like, have you found Jesus kind of thing? Well, Jesus wasn't lost. He came for you, <laughs> right? He came for you. He favored you enough to, among all other women, I favored this one, and I said, you're the one. And God's favor is upon you, and he said, Israel, you are my people. And God's favor is upon you. And He said, Your heart will love me. And your heart will be circumcised. The dead flesh will be cut away. And suddenly you come alive. And suddenly the miracle of sight will be there. And suddenly your ears will hear. And suddenly you will realize how lost you were. And how loving God came and saved you from your eternal destiny of damnation. And suddenly this will become a revelation. And suddenly you will turn and say, I cannot save myself, but only He can save me. And suddenly there will be a need for a Savior. And suddenly you will have faith to believe in that Savior. And you will want to and you will do it. Absolutely. Why? For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that faith is not yours. It's not of yourself. It is a faith given to you by God so that you can believe in Him and be saved eternally. Amen. Now God has touched your heart. And now you can be thankful and grateful eternally because when you step over that line into eternity, guess who gets the glory for everything 
and anything. God. It is from the beginning to the end God's work. None of me and all of him. Romans 5, 5, and I'll close with this. Romans 5, 5. It says, and hope does not put us to shame. Why? Why doesn't hope put us to shame? You have a hope of an eternal destiny. God created this earth in six days, folks, and now He's been gone for 2,000 years doing what? The same thing. <laughs> but over 2,000 year period, He's preparing a place for you that your mind cannot wrap around. You cannot fathom just what He has for you, and you have a hope, a future hope. And when you have this future hope, and it's, and it's a vivid picture that there's a future hope that I cannot even understand or grasp. It goes beyond my imagination. My imagination doesn't stretch far enough to understand it. When I look at that hope of that future, all these things of earth pass away. I don't know, you know, you, you're on top of the situation, not under the circumstances, right? And when you have this hope, this hope in your heart, it says that this hope does not put you to shame. You will not be disappointed. You will not be let down. Why? Because God's love, because God's love has been poured into our hearts. Okay, so who poured God's love into our hearts? Who poured it? God. It takes God to want God. You already believe that. It takes God to want God. I don't care if you're Armenian. You believe this. Why? Because your most lost son out there in the world, parting it up, desperately in need of a Savior, and everybody knows that but him. Right? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> he's like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you go like, he's throwing his life away. Who do you go to? God. And you go, God, I need you to save my son. God, I need you to reach my child. God, I need you to save him. You already believe that it takes God for that kid to even want God, right? All glory goes to God in every person that has ever been saved. Romans 5, 5, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts. His love. And with that love that He pours into our hearts, we can turn and love Him back. I can love because I have been loved. I can love because I have been loved. I am a reflector of God's glory. I can reflect. It's like if you believe that the earth is flat and you believe that that's really a moon that reflects the sun's <laughs> rays. That's what, that's what it is. A star, it doesn't have light of its own, right? It doesn't actually produce light. It actually just reflects the sun's light. And this is who we are. We reflect the glory of God. And we reflect His love. That's why we can love because we know how much we have been loved when we didn't deserve to love, to be loved. Amen. Did you get something out of the word? Amen.